0: State of emergency, and I am officially declaring an emergency. We are in a state of emergency, and my word is law. Is there an emergency? Uh, This is an emergency episode... Come in here, it's an emergency... ...of the Fear the Fro podcast. Fro podcast listeners, this is not really an emergency. I'm the boy that cried wolf, but I wanted to react to the NBA trade deadline, and rather than wait on this back-to-back set from the Cavs against the Pelicans and then the Bulls, I wanted to do it right now. Just hit a bunch of these trades, my thoughts on them, so that you would have something to enjoy before the next Fear the Fro podcast. Then I'm going to sit back and enjoy a bit of my weekend... Watch the game tonight and watch the game tomorrow and then react to this back-to-back set against the Pelicans and the Bulls. So rather than wait until two days has gone by, I wanted to react to the trade deadline right now. And I'm not even talking about the Cavs. The Cavs, uh, it's a bit of a letdown. Sure, I said what I wanted to happen. I wanted the Cavs to either flip Windler and a second for some sort of player who could fill a spot in our rotation, or maybe investigate Love and turning his contract into a couple of rotation pieces whose contract carried forward into the next seasons. But nothing happened. And sad as it may be, I trust Altman. He's he's made very prudent trades in the past. If he didn't pull the trigger on one this deadline, I imagine that what was being asked for was just too much, or we didn't have the assets to give. Considering that some of these second round picks were being thrown around five second round picks for a bum like crowder i don't know what the Cavs could do there we just simply didn't have much to work with but let's hit the other nba trades i'm gonna rocket through these incredibly fast this is gonna be like my my love making it's done quickly completely shallow there's no depth and uh everybody walks away disappointed so let's do this let's begin at the top the headliner the kevin durant to the phoenix suns trade i'm no lover of the Suns. i i don't particularly care for chris paul or devin booker but i do like kevin durant despite what he did to our teams i think for the most part he's just a professional goes out plays basketball doesn't try to destroy teams from inside any addition of him automatically raises the ceiling for your team there is some risk there their bench not incredibly deep Health, always a concern with Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. And with players, that impactful. If one of them goes down, it changes everything. But a risk worth taking. And Ishbia, professional rival to Dan Gilbert, wasted no time. Just taking over the team and decides, fuck it, I'm going all in. Gotta love the balls on that. Plus, any owner who gets rid of Jay Crowder immediately upon taking control of a team is possibly the greatest owner of all time. So the depth. The Suns are rolling out a second unit that consists of campaign, Damian Lee, T.J. Warren, who's been banged up a bit this year, Darius Baisley, who they acquired from the Oklahoma City Thunder in a deal that moved Saric there, and Bismarck Biambo, who I like. Now, they got a big night out of Okogie the other night. He's also in there, Landry Shamit, Saban Lee, a guy who played some college hoops at the same school as our very own Darius Garland. But Let's not dwell on the bench because the reality is, if this team stays healthy, very good. Two of those three guys will be on the floor at all times, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, to say nothing of how much pressure this takes off of Ayton to live up to that $30 million contract that they had to match from the Pacers. That's really kind of irrelevant. He can just thrive in a very overlooked position in terms of the team hierarchy, similar to what we see from Jared Allen. People's expectations are tied to Mitchell, are tied to Garland, are tied to Mobley, far greater than Allen, and out, Allen is out here thriving. I think you could see much of the same from Ayton in that way. Those guys will command so much attention, Booker and Durant, that if I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, I feel great about the way they're positioned to be able to climb up the Western Conference standings and truly compete against the Memphis, against the Denver Nuggets, those squads. Now, the Nuggets, they're deliberate about everything. They're playing the way that they're playing. They believe in the core that they have. The Grizzlies have to be a little bit frustrated to come up with nothing at this trade deadline, especially such an arrogant, cocky group. Basically, the only maneuver they made was adding Luke Kennard, who I do like him as a player. You want reliable shooting in any type of playoff series. So to be able to turn Danny Green into him, that is an upgrade. But considering they were in conversations for a Durant or an OG, It has to feel a little bit disappointing to see your rivals make a move like this with the Phoenix Suns. Now the Mavericks, you know how I feel about the Irving trade. We've already touched on it. I like it for the Mavericks in the sense that if any team needed to take that risk, it's one that has not been able to capitalize on having a generational talent in Doncic there and has limited ways to improve the roster around him. For the Clippers, I generally like what the Clippers did. I think my favorite move of their little maneuvers was adding Plumlee as a backup big for Reggie Jackson on an expiring deal. They needed a backup center behind Zubac, and I think we saw that when we destroyed the Clippers in that game, is that Zubac is a a good player. At times, he looks like a very good center, But they needed some size and ability to bang with some of these dominant centers that are out there in the Western Conference. When you get to the playoffs, if you hope to go through a team that has a Jokic or a Steven Adams with a Jaron Jackson Jr., you need a little bit more size to be able to throw at people. The other big trades, the Lakers' trades, I'm a big advocate of for reasons that I discussed on the last podcast. I think it almost is more beneficial for them to have lost out on the Kyrie Irving trade because despite how good Kyrie Irving is, one, there's a risk he walks away for nothing. The Lakers have lived that already with what Dwight Howard did. They acquired him, Kobe rode him, drove him out of town, essentially. He ended up leaving, and they weren't able to do anything about it or replace his salary. With the Lakers, they had essentially nothing of value to trade between the $38 million that Anthony Davis makes in the six and a half of Lonnie Walker. They had Patrick Beverly, which they turned into Mo Bamba, who enters on a a non-guaranteed deal next year, but adds a piece that they can seemingly do something with. And now they have Beasley. At sixteen and a half million, they have Russell, who presumably will sign for a deal twenty to twenty-five million a season. I would expect, being that this is a very weak crop of free agents, and he's a true unrestricted free agent who's only twenty-six years old. You have Mo Bamba, who makes ten million next year, completely non-guaranteed. They can just cut bait if that doesn't work out. This is a guy who made thirty-eight percent from three-point land last year on four attempts a game. That's not nothing. And this year, he's shooting forty percent from three, albeit on a very tiny sample of less than three attempts a game. You have Rui Hachimura, who will probably make 10 mil plus, which will give them more role players, guys who can shoot Russell's 40% from three or close to it. Malik Beasley, a very high-volume three-point shooter. It gives them better spacing, a lengthy defender. It opens up more run for Gabriel, who's been pretty good. And I didn't love that they had to lose Thomas Bryant, but I understand it. His minutes had been drastically slashed after January where he was putting up 14 and 8 when he was filling in for Davis during the injury, he was down to 12 minutes a game. So yeah, they gave him up, but he brought back three second round picks and that helped bring in Bamba who is a gigantic man who can shoot a little bit from outside. So theoretically, that could work alongside of Davis. You don't have to clog up the paint. You can give him room to maneuver, but you still have his help on the defensive end of the floor. So got a little bit of regret seeing Bryant land in Denver. Would have loved to add a backup big at the trade deadline for the Cavs, but I guess we'll monitor the buyout market. Serge apparently going to be bought out. Who knows? Maybe a couple other people. I've seen rumors about Terrence Ross, but this is not about that right now. My concerns for the Lakers are more that in terms of actual wins and losses on the court, They have dug themselves quite a hole, and to lose these games, to lose the Oklahoma City Thunder game where LeBron broke the record, to have him sit then the next game and drop one against the Bucs that was very winnable despite a skeleton crew, they are right now sitting at 13th in the Western Conference and six games below 500. The teams above them, they didn't sit on their hands. They did stuff. Golden State got back a very productive player who they had last year but let go to the Portland Trailblazers in taking Wiseman, who had only cracked 20 minutes three times this season. They shipped him off and said, forget it. Doesn't matter where we drafted him. He's not a player that's fitting in our system. They dumped him, got five second-round picks, which they flipped to the Blazers in a four-way trade, which brings back Gary Payton II. So he's a very good player. I'm a big fan of him, and I like that acquisition for them. It's Maybe it won't move the needle, but the Pelicans are getting healthier, as we know. The Timberwolves, seemingly d and Rudy Gobert were clashing. They were at odds. There was reports that D'Lo was disparaging him openly in the locker room and did not like playing with him. And say what you will about Gobert, but they are committed to him for the next four seasons. What they gave up, it's gone forever. You can't undo that, but you have to at least try to make it work. So, yeah, they brought in an older point guard in Conley, but I look at that move as much about the viability of maintaining some semblance of, of good chemistry and culture in your locker room as anything else because they're right there. They're sitting on the perimeter of the locked-in spots, the top six in the Western Conference, and I don't see them climbing into the top six. So they want to maintain momentum and hold off teams like the Lakers who made these deals to jump up after the deadline because I think that's another relevant conversation here. Who do we think that the Lakers for sure are going to pass here? I think you could feel good that – I think Oklahoma City – is a solid team, despite the fact that they traded Mescala. I I don't think they're looking to lose, though, and I don't think you can tell a team with that much youth and talent and energy who's just getting better by the day because these guys are finding their way in the NBA. Do I? The Lakers should pass them, in theory, but they're going to have to work for it, and Utah traded away many of those pieces. Presumably, they'll buy out Russell Westbrook, who there's rumors that he'll land with the L.A. Clippers as well, which... Man, that would be amazing, just seeing him stay in L.A. and stoking the flames in that rivalry between the Lakers and Clippers. But even if I concede that the Lakers will pass Oklahoma City and Utah, Portland, they're right there. They traded Josh Hart to the Knicks, got back a top, well, a lottery-protected first-round pick. I thought that's a good return. Here we were discussing ways that Josh Hart could become a Cavalier, and they managed to get the Knicks to give up. And the Knicks, they're perplexing in that way. They keep amassing these picks. They make these trades. On draft day, they'll trade back. They got a first-round pick for a Jalen Durin going to Detroit, and they traded the Usman Dang pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for multiple draft assets. But when push comes to shove, they keep using those to just bring in guys who are already kind of known commodities. They used a first on Cam Reddish, a man who, while drafted high, Certainly didn't play to that level. They used a first on Josh Hart, who is a proven vet, a very solid player, but they're going to have to pay him his worth this summer. They haven't been bad with the picks that they've used that have proven to be past the lottery or in the late first round. You have Quint Grimes, solid player, quickly, solid player. Mitchell Robinson they got late. That's a solid player. At some point, you have to wonder, would they be better suited to just start using those picks or bundling them to trade up in the draft rather than using them to acquire players who they just have to pay fair value to. It doesn't make sense to me in that regard. Although he is a Tibbs player, high efficiency, plays defense, you can play him into the ground. And I know there's criticism that, okay, this is a guy who's stopped shooting threes. Let's put that in perspective because in Portland, he was playing alongside two Of the top three three three-point attempts guys in the league, in Simons and Lillard, those guys shot over 23-point attempts per game. How many did we expect Josh Hart to, to take? I mean, I don't think that's fair to him in totality when he's playing alongside guys who have the ultimate green light. All of those teams, they have to leap past the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Thunder as it sits now, Or have the teams that are even higher fall back. The Pelicans seem to be riding the ship. They have not been healthy, but Ingram, Zion, eventually they'll be back in the fold. They made minor maneuvers. They turned Devontae Graham and some second-round picks into, I believe it was Josh Richardson. So I like that move. He might not be the volume three-point taker that a Graham is, but I didn't think that Graham was a fantastic fit for what that team needed anyway. And Richardson is just more versatile in my opinion. Plus, it gets them off of any longer-term Graham money. The Warriors, I won't bet against them to make the playoffs. And adding Gary Payton back to the mix there and sending Wiseman out. Let's talk about it from the Pistons' perspective for a moment, though. I'm reading a lot of people crushing the Pistons for it, but I I said this when we were talking with Bryce Simon before the Pistons game. Bay is in a weird position. He's playing behind a vet, who you just re-signed and extended in Boyan Bogdanovich. Now, if you knew you were just going to trade Boyan, similar to the way that the Knicks signed Marcus Morris and then flipped him to the Clippers a couple years ago, if you know you're going to do that, then yeah, maybe you don't send off Bay. But it seems like they had hesitance, knowing that he was extension eligible this summer, to commit any tortoise, any kind of substantial money to him. When it's, it's quite clear, the point that they're at with their franchise is that they don't know who their core will be beyond... Kate Cunningham. And I know that they'll extend him at a large chunk of money, but you don't want to get tied into big contracts for guys who aren't even needle movers. The Cavs, they've done that similar thing. For whatever reason, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, they were hesitant to commit large money to Sexton. They didn't hesitate to do it with Garland. The Pistons, they see these guys more than anyone having them in their system. So whatever their hesitance was to go into the summer knowing that they'd have to start having dialogues with Bay and Bay's agent about extending him, they decided, you know what, fuck it. Let's send him off while he still has some value. He's on a cheap deal. He ends up in Atlanta. And they bring in Wiseman, who I don't think he's going di- to displace Jalen Duran. I, ho- I think they're hoping that he'll be a complement to him, and eventually they'll try to move off that Bagley deal, or it'll expire, and hopefully he he proves to be some sort of either backup big with them, or somebody you can put out there alongside Durant because he can stretch the floor a little bit more. You know, theoretically, I think when we saw Wiseman, we know he's not necessarily a banger. He's not a great rebounder for a man of his size, but he seems comfortable with the ball in his hands at the elbows a little further out, so maybe they're going to roll him out alongside one another because Duran, that dude can bang. He can rebound. He can deter shots, and as he gets stronger and even more NBA-ready, I like the future for him. Now, the other moves that happened, Jay Crowder, five second-round picks. It's wild. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. He's with the Bucks. We're going to have to go through them seemingly at some point, or somebody will. We'll get to see just how impactful he is. Seems like an odd gamble for me, um, but it's not much of a gamble. It's second-round picks. I just This year, five second-round picks was the equivalent of what five first-round picks was this summer. Everybody was just moving volume to bring in one player, which they thought would be a, a meaningful and impactful player for them. For the Nets, the return, I know I didn't really touch on this, For the Nets, I love what they got back, considering they were making a trade in season. Usually, you don't have much leverage, and based on all the reports, they only had discussions with the Suns, and yet they were able to get back four first-round picks, a couple of seconds, and two very good wings. Now they are very wing-heavy with Royce, Mikael Bridges, uh, Joe Harris, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. All this length, all this wing depth that we would have loved to pluck in, The discussions happen and nothing happened with us, but they will revisit that stuff this summer, surely. Uh, And it helps them hedge their bet against the fact that they're losing all of their own first-round picks to Houston from the fallout from that Harden trade. So to have some talent in there, to not just take back an entirely pick-centric deal, like the one that the Grizzlies reportedly offered the Nets for Kevin Durant. Supposedly, the Grizzlies were willing to give up four first-round picks three swaps. They just couldn't send back anyone of substantial youth and potential, and that's where the deal fell off. They were also in talks for OG Ananobi for three first-round picks, but again, Toronto held out because they wanted some sort of prospect back along with them. Toronto seemingly asked for too much because nothing really materialized, and they made that perplexing move of giving up a first-round pick for the right to pay Jakob Pertl, who's an expiring contract this summer. So a team that clearly believes they can bounce back from what has been a disappointing season for them because they're not really doing anything of substance this year, but I guess that they believe, given the opportunity to run it back, they can improve upon what, at the moment, is a 10th-place spot in the Eastern Conference and a sub-500 record. So maybe that center will be the difference for them. I guess time will tell, but that could be a team that the Cavaliers get to see if they can climb up a bit in the playoff standings. As it sits now, they'll have to beat out at least two of the Knicks, Hawks, Bulls group. The Wizards have been good as of late. They're just outside of that picture too. So Pacers seem to be careening, which is unfortunate for them. But the bottom of the East is cemented. It's the Hornets and the Pistons. And then you have the Magic and Pacers who look like they're falling out of it. But those five teams between 7 and 11, that'll be an interesting thing. So the Lakers, as somebody who loves chaos, there is nothing that would be more funny than the Lakers making all these maneuvers only to miss the playoffs anyway. The Suns are at no risk of that. And they are now right up there. I believe they're third at the moment in terms of title odds or second, depending on who you go to. Most people believe it's the Celtics, it's the Bucs, and it's the Suns. I don't know that I'd write off the Nuggets. They did some nice poaching of Thomas Bryan on the cheap because the Lakers wanted to honor his trade request and another big to back up Jokic. He's probably not going to get much floor time, but I like the move. I like Bryan. He was a good minimum signing. Those are the types of guys that give you hope that, despite the Cavs' situation this summer and limited money that they'll have to work with on the market, hopefully we can get a few people who look at this core and say, I want to jump on board, and they can try their hand at a couple of reclamation projects. Now, of any of the other moves, like I said, I did kind of like what the Clippers did. They got Bones Highland. Denver gave up on him fairly quick, 22 years old. I know he's a volume shooter, uh, but for 12 points a game in a backup role, clearly an offensive talent. Reminds me a little bit of J.R. Smith in the sense that his shot selection and his volume is suspect, but the offensive promise is certainly there. And they decided to go the vet route and something that's a little more of a known commodity and just wash their hands of that experience and that experiment altogether. Sacramento Kings, not any big moves for them. The Cavs, one of two teams who didn't do anything, the Bulls being the other. The Wizards didn't do anything in close proximity, but their Rui trade essentially kicked off the entire trade season. So that's sort of me touching on all the big moves. I guess there was some more minor stuff. That happened as far as the under the radar things. I like Jalen McDaniels for the 76ers. I thought that was good to turn Matisse into somebody who's much more of a two way player and who is also very young and long. I liked it. And just to put a bow on the Cavs thing, if there was anything I would have loved to see transpire yesterday, I mentioned I was open to Windler in a second for a rotation player or using Love and maybe a second or a couple seconds to add back two rotation players whose contracts carry forward into the summer. The one that I was kind of intrigued by was the suggestion of a Royce and Joe Harris or a Royce and Seth Curry who's expiring this summer. For a Kevin Love in seconds. But considering how many seconds it took to even get a bum like Jay Crowder, we probably couldn't have made that happen anyway. So we move forward. And now the buyout market will be what we're looking at. Will Barton, Terrence Ross, uh, Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook. I don't think we're looking at Westbrook, obviously. But a Terrence Ross and a Will Barton, they could definitely be pickups that made some sense for the Cavs. And we'll see what other names emerge as we go here. So there you go. There's my thoughts. The Fear of the Fro podcast trade deadline recap. And I did it in a mere 18 minutes. Impressive, if I do say so myself. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for joining the podcast, the Fear of the Fro revolution that is underway right now. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this is the Fear of the Fro podcast. Sliver, oh! this has been fear the fro if you like the show subscribe and rate wherever you listen our guy bob schmidt always gets a reaction out of it join us next time for more calves and nba coverage